0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church at home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. with you and uh well I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Joshua chapter 5 and from verse 13 so you might want to turn there Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 it says when Joshua was by Jericho he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him are you for us or for our adversaries and he said no Well, really Christ Central, it truly is a joy for me to have this opportunity to share with you right at the outset uh, of a new year. And and I think really uh, a big part of my joy sharing with you has to do with the fact that I get to serve uh, David and Philippa for a change. Uh, They are dear friends, have been right through the years. uh, To be honest, I feel like I have been the greater beneficiary of the friendship for many years past you know Dave has always been so uh, affirming accepting encouraging towards me and for that I thank God and I thank him also well I'm going to be sharing with you uh, this morning albeit very short but I trust that it'll it will bless you Exodus 34 verse 6 says the Lord the Lord, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord. This is this is the Bible describing the character of God, but even beyond that, beyond that, it is God describing his own character, his own nature. To Moses. It's when Moses is up on the mountain with God and they're having a rap session one might say and God kind of puts him in the cleft of the mountain and as God passes by these are the words that reverberate onto the face of the earth as Moses one man on the face of the earth gets to have this moment as God passes by and God announces who he is what his nature he is, and how he is to be known, the Lord, the Lord. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love, solid, steadfast, dependable, and faithfulness, and faithfulness. I'm reading that to you today. I'm quoting it to you because... To walk with that God, who is a faithful God, requires faith to walk with a faithful God. He is a faithful God. His character bears it out. The scriptures bear it out. And right, right across the scriptures, in fact, the grand metanarrative of the Bible, the grand story there, really the gospel, because you can find the gospel in every chapter of the Bible, you, you, you're going to see the goodness of God, his delivering power towards mankind. And he particularly shows us from the Old Testament, this is demonstrated for us what he, how he leveraged out his power in the lives of one nation, the life of one nation, Israel. How God takes people from darkness to light, how he makes a motley crew of people into an army, how he makes slaves into sons. In their case, bringing them out of Egypt where they had been not just in the lockdown, but in slavery for over 400 years. And the way that he did it, he did it. First of all, he did they were delivered by miracles. They were delivered by miracles. Water that turned into blood and locusts that came and ravaged the whole land. Darkness that fell upon the the, the living areas of the Egyptians, whereas the Israelites had light and they were the slaves. The hailstones that fell down that was just despised description. He, he, they were they, they, He showed his hand, he showed his miracle. He showed what kind of God he is, not just that they were destined by promises. When God was calling them out of Egypt through Moses, he didn't just say come out, no, no. First he showed his hand delivered by miracles and then secondly, he destined them by promises. Where in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, where God actually said, to Moses, tell the people, I will bring you out from under these burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. I will make you my people. I will be your God. And I will bring you to the land, the land that I promised as an inheritance. To your father, seven times God is speaking. They're saying, "I will, I will, I will." He is, He is bequeathing Himself to them. You might say He is marrying them. He is showing them. He is welding who He is permanently to who they are, adopting them forever. But thirdly, as He's bringing them out, they were sustained by the supernatural. He brought them out; they were sustained by the supernatural. They seen the miracles, they heard the promises as they're coming out. Now he's going right through in the wilderness manna that came from heaven. For 40 years, the longest miracle in the Bible, for 40 years, every morning they had food and it never ceased once. (laughs) Speaks of grace, God says, because those people surely would have been sinning the whole time. But he was faithful is the point I'm trying to make water that came out of a rock when they needed water. They were led by the cloud in the sky and they were led by the pillar of uh, fire by night so that they could see in the deserts. He gave them light. He led them in the daytime. Their slippers never wore out, Their Bible tells us. They left Egypt with jewelry. They left wealthy. And then they parted the Red Sea so that they walked on dry land. I mean, we read those stories and We almost um, uh, turned them into something for kids. But I would have loved to have been there to have stood and watched people, two million of them, walk on dry land as God parted the sea. And then when they came out, the second miracle, he closed the sea. The whole time trying to let them know what kind of God he is. When they came out, they came out singing the song, Who is like unto thee, O God? Among the gods who is like you. You're glorious in holiness, you're fearful in praises, and you're always, you're always doing wonders. Exodus chapter 15 verse 11 says that, always doing wonders. And so you read all of that, you think, well, what a good God, what blessed people, what's there to worry about? Well, there's a lot to worry about because we get to the New Testament, the Bible tells us, and yet with those people, God was not pleased. He was not pleased, why not? Because they soon forgot his promises, we're told in the book of Psalms. They soon forgot his promises. They were not faithful to his promises. They weren't faithful to his promises. In other words, although God took them out of slavery from Egypt, out of Egypt and out of slavery, he could take them out of Egypt, but he couldn't quite take Egypt out of them. It took forever to try to rinse the debris of the, uh, of the slavery mentality to take it out of them. So that by the time we get to the, what I read to you the book of Joshua, it's a whole different generation now. Although now they will have to fight their own battles. As Moses, who had to fight battles, now Joshua has to fight battles. Moses, who had to, uh, 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 has, who sent spies to go and spy out land, Joshua has to send his own spies. Moses, who had to cross the Red Sea, Joshua has to cross the River Jordan. And so they had their own challenges also. But then the Bible says, and I read to you, then came Jericho. Then came Jericho. Talking about Jericho, Jericho really represents. Uh, well, it was actually a fortified wall. It was a, a huge wall around the city of Jericho, the wall of Jericho. You hear it as a child growing up, but it stands for so much more than that. It's it, it, it's 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 that which is standing in the way of advance standing there looking fortified, impregnable, undefeatable, seemingly impossible, Jericho. And it represents situations in our lives to stop advance. It represents uh, challenges and obstacles that will not shift and constitute daily difficulty that will end up making us grind out a living so much so that it sounds like being in slavery. It's sometimes relationships that have become so broken and fractured and seem to defy restoration. And it's there at the base of life. It could be between a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, a husband and a wife, or between friends, where you just it's, it's there and it aches and done what you can to fix it. And it just seems to defy being fixed. And it becomes a wall that one party then can, just cannot move on the freedom that God has given in life. Or who can ignore the, the seismic events of our day? Uh, just, uh, you know, for a year now, the whole world has been in a situation that's just unimaginable, unprecedented. It's the word that everyone uses all the time. Yeah, because we're out of words to use and creates incredible uncertainties. These are life-changing, life-threatening, life-taking pandemic. And the tendency is, and its a tendency and its outcome really, is it creates a vulnerability in us, a frailty, a fragility, Reminds us of our humanity and our creatureliness. Turns out we're not as strong as we think we are. Turns out we're not as safe as we think we are. It turns out we need God, and only God knows what the effect of all of that this will be. Post all this, mental illness, physical illness sadly for some already spiritual apathy because churches are not able to gather the way that we're used to and faith begins to wane. Jericho is, represents anything that will obstruct your pathway, deny a future or shatter peace. Shatter peace. And the people deal with Jerichos in different ways. Some retreat and backslide Some try to climb the wall of Jericho, a kind of perfectionism in life that is a life that is so full of uh, self, uh, you know, actualization. I'll do it all myself to live life in man's strength and it's just fleshly driven perfectionism. Or then there are those who just decide, you know what, Jericho is too high for me to climb. Egypt is too far for me to go back. I've walked too long with God to do that. And so they have a tendency to camp at the base of Jericho and live there. And a kind of apathy that says, it's just the way it is. What's going to be is going to be. And though they may not verbalize this, it's actualized in their lives. They stay where they are. Because faith is gone. To which one needs to ask the question, how then does one defeat a Jericho? How does one defeat a Jericho? Because that is exactly what God wants us to learn in these times. That we can't just keep looking backwards at all that went wrong the previous year. But what is God saying to us uh, as a church? In the nation, what is God saying to me? I was saying to you as an individual? How do we overcome Jericho? How do we gain faith again? I'll say number one, it requires acknowledging God afresh. Who he is. Who he is. If all this doesn't turn us freshly back to God, then once God say, I wonder what will. To acknowledge God afresh. And that's why I read you the text that I did, where Joshua who is a soldier of phenomenal ability. You read Exodus chapter 17. It's Joshua who is down in the valley fighting the Amalekites. This is an accomplished soldier. But he wakes up here in Joshua chapter 5, and the Bible tells us he sees something of a vision. He sees a huge soldier, I mean, just a huge thing, and with a drawn sword in his hand, looking down at Joshua. And Joshua... Joshua sees this thing and he goes over to ask it, wait, Are you for us or, or are you for our adversaries? It reminds, reminds me many, many years ago when our sons were real young, you know, I would put them in the car, we're on, on a drive someplace, we're on the, on, on the M25 on the motorway. Now we we're driving, it's a nice sunny day, and, you know, all is good and uh, they're sitting in the back, and then I just saw on the other side of the motorway, going the other direction, a row of tanks, okay, uh, uh, you know, um, a British, well, a row of tanks, a lot of them, and the soldiers are kind of there, and all of that, and I woke the boys up and pointed it to them, and they're shouting, oh, tanks!" you know, and I rev up these boys, they're all happy, and we make all this noise, you know, chemists in the front, you know, not, you know. Just uh, can't believe what I'm doing. But I rev them about with tanks. You know, you kind of feel like let's go to war. And then I thought for a second, wait a minute. They, they are our tanks, are they? I hope. Because it would just about be the worst thing in the world to be being invaded. And you're applauding the whole time because you didn't recognize it's the enemy. Joshua gets up. Joshua sees this soldier. And he goes to him saying, I can't even begin to fight this thing. And he goes and he asks the question, yeah, I would have wanted to ask, are you on our side or their side? To which the soldier says, I'm not here to take sides. I'm not here to take sides. I'm not on your side or their side. I'm on God's side. <laughs> to which the Bible tells us, and Joshua fell to his feet. The ground where he is, his holy ground, he fell down. It's a call for you and I to acknowledge God afresh, to adopt a posture of worship, to say, oh God, that you may increase, that I may decrease, to trust in God like we've never done before, to rely on him because everything else we relied on is showing its vulnerability and showing the fact that it's God that we need now more than ever, now more than ever. That's why I love the words of Charles Spurgeon, you know, If he could save you and take your soul to heaven, then why could he not sort out any other local little difficulty that you face? You don't need to rake the earth looking for another Savior. He is sufficient for thee. He is sufficient for thee. How do we begin to get faith back alive? and stir ourselves back into faith and trust God and reject a pragmatized mentality that just wants to do Christianity in a totally calculated way, but actually still believes in the supernatural and a God who's saved by faith and says the way you were saved by faith is the way you're going to live the life by faith. We started by, first of all, acknowledging God. Secondly, we, then we walk by faith. We walk by faith. Why? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. I, I, I love the fact that when you read the rest of the story, Joshua hears what it is he's supposed to do. He gets his marching orders. He goes to the nation and says, this is what we will do. We're going to walk around Jericho once a day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And I'm going to tell you this, Because I've been a Christian a while now, and I've been a Christian leader a little while now, and I can tell you, the first day of getting up and going is not hard. Most people are on board. It's when the war is longer than you imagined. It's when the lockdown is longer than you thought. It's when the success is taking much longer than you hoped. And then other things begin to come into the heart and rigidify the soul and calcify it so that true faith and belief seems to be gone. Joshua said, we're going to walk around seven times. Well, I can imagine on the first day, everybody gets up walking around saying, yeah, finally we're doing something. Second day, they get up very early in the morning, walk around, you know, and the worshipers are in front. It goes well. But then by the third day, now somebody says, wait, what, why are we doing this? What's the point of this? You know, why we, you know questions begin to come. I, 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 the point is this. There are things that kill our faith. And we need to know what they are because it happens to all of us. The first one is negativism. The disposition to project to the worst case scenario. Oh, there, there are people like that. I, I know people like that. Negative. Or, or, Or criticism. The the disposition to be preoccupied with that which is incomplete or imperfect. You know that kind of person? You know, you paint a whole wall, you come in, they're like, you missed a bit. The first thing they see is what didn't go well. Never mind everything else that went well. Never mind everything else that God is doing. They see the one thing that hasn't yet happened and seem to live there. Or skepticism. These things are faith killers. Skepticism is the disposition to be determined always to question but never commit. People that always question but they never commit. If these things are in the heart, it'll extinguish faith. It's just a matter of time. Or cynicism, the disposition to see every effort by others as selfishly motivated. We, we, we arrogate it to those on the outside and to everybody else, but not to ourselves. These things kill, their faith kills. No wonder Joshua in chapter 6 and verse 10 actually says to the people, when we go around, not a word. He actually said, when we go around, let everyone be quiet. Why? He wasn't going to let... Words that come from thoughts are going to be spread around and like gangrene spread so much so that people's faith begins to drop. In other words, you and I, we need to be careful what we hear, what we think, what we say. In other words, if we're to hear what God is saying, we hear it, we mull it all over, meditate it, we let the word of God enrich our spirits, faith will, will come out of us. And so we need to be aware of this faith killer. How does one get faith back alive? Well, first of all, we acknowledge God afresh. You are God alone. That we we'll walk by faith all over, anew. That we don't just walk in, as it were, quote, quote, yesterday's faith, but a whole new level of faith. And say, God, stir stir me up again. Do not let me do life merely by calculations or pragmatics which have a place in life but to walk by faith in you that's your only way to walk with God is by faith and then thirdly we must obey the command he gives us to obey the last command what was the last thing God told you to do and are you actually doing it or are you just still intending to do Well, we must do what he's told us. Do the works of he who sent me while it is day for the night come when no man can work. Jesus says that. We must do whatever it is that he's given us to do. Uh, A friend of mine, physiotherapist, tells the story of uh, uh, going to see a patient, Uh, who had had surgery, he goes, he sees the patient, and he said, okay, Mr. So-and-so, good to see you. Uh, I'm your physio. I gather you've had a surgery. Everything looks to be going so well. So we're just going to mobilize you now and get you walking so that you can get full functionality. The guy is like, you what? Mobilize me. You want me to walk? Are you joking? I had a big operation. It was a big deal. I cannot believe you want me to get up out to walk. I can't walk. My goodness, I had a big operation. Did you even read my notes? My future friend said, okay, okay, Mrs. Such-and-Such, such, I have read everything, and you have had a recuperation. It is time for you to be mobilized, because he's like, nope, I want a second opinion. All right. So my friend goes back to the department. They said, this somebody else, you know, the following day. Now they send young lady She's new to the profession and she's just all nice and sweet and she goes there, Mrs. So-and-so, would you like to walk? He says, no. She says, okay. And she leaves. Following day, she goes back. Mister so So-and-so, would you like to work, walk? He says, no, I'm not ready because... She says, okay. And leaves. After three or four times, he realizes... I think she's just going to leave me here. Next time she came, he says to her, I want the other physio back. My friend goes back and says, Mr. Son, do you want to walk? Well, I just don't think I can because I don't... And he has all these reasons why he wouldn't do what he really wants to do and ought to do. My friend says, "Uh, do you want to walk or don't you? He says, yes, I do. A friend begins to get him up, slowly mobilize him, and eventually he walks. Sometimes we let fear stop us from what we ought to do. And if we're not careful, <laughs> we lose out because there's a, the Holy Spirit comes and says, will you do? Will you step out? Will you make a step of faith and go out? Because the truth of the matter is, he never sets anybody up for failure. He will be with you when he says, go out. The Israelites here, Joshua says to them, there's one final act of faith that you have to do. It did not make sense, but it did make faith. He said, you are to shout. They walk around once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, they walk around seven times, the whole time, not one brick shook. But the moment they shouted and obeyed what God said, the walls of Jericho came down. And my prayer is this, that as we enter the second year of this decade, that God will make you the person of faith that he always intended you to be not just of the same as last year, but constantly growing in faith. Because you see, there's only one way to walk with God. It's by faith. Where he calls Abraham and he says to him, Abraham, walk with me. Where he calls Joshua and he says to Joshua, walk with me. From where where the idea of prayer walking, in fact, comes from. We have been called to walk with a God who is faithful in his way and calls us to be faith-filled. My prayer is that this year, that the goodness of God will reign upon your life and your home in Jesus' name, and that all your endeavors be blessed. But all of this is for a particular reason, that God wants you and I to be people who reach out to a lost world and particularly to a dark world in these days, that the church of Jesus Christ ought to stand as a light on a hill, as a beacon that people should flock to, especially when we live by faith and boast in the God whom we serve it's been great being with you I pray that you've been blessed blessings everybody we hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast to hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services head to Christchurchlondon.org